as uh, MPs, in our capacity as MPs, uh, it's important for appropriate next steps in the House to be taken. And I think that is our immediate focus. And as a government, we're going to be very thoughtful about any further steps. Oh, it's mind-numbingly frustrating to listen to that woman speak. That's Christian Freeland, of course, not answering the question she was asked, which was, will her government reopen investigations into Nazi war criminals living here in the country? And yeah, that answer says, nope. But this is what Jewish groups are asking for and have been asking for for a very long time. They accept the apology. They accept the resignation of the House Speaker. But what they really want is action. They want a full investigation as to how this happened, how a Nazi came into our parliament and was honored. But they also want the unredacted files related to the Deschen, uh, the Deschen Commission. They want those released. This was an investigation back in uh, 1985 looking into claims that Canada had become this haven of Nazi war criminals. A report was issued in 87. Legislation was passed giving our courts the power to prosecute foreign war crimes in this country. And, well, you know, deporting naturalized war criminals. But there's also this report concerning allegations against specific individuals, and that has never been made public. And I say, let's get the transparency going right now. And that's what we need is transparency. You know, we know that our government of the past turned away ships full of Jews, and then they allowed as many as 5,000 Nazi war criminals to come into this country under government exemptions where they've lived in secret. And we know that Nazi hunter Simon Wiesenthal uh, rounded up about 217 officers here. But my next guest, my next guest is not even Canadian. And he caught over 60 living here by posing as a university professor during the 90s and doing some research. And it was as easy as opening a phone book. Who is this man? Steve Rambam, founder and CEO of Polorium. Thanks so much for joining, Steve. Hi, good morning. All right. So when you saw a Nazi being honored as a, you know, honored as a Canadian war hero, what, what was your thought? You know, I'm sorry to say I wasn't the slightest bit surprised. Uh, Canada, let me, let me say that first, that the narrative that people were surprised, they were shocked, they had no idea who this man was, it was an honest mistake, that's absolute nonsense. This individual has been known for years. I mean, <laughs> he had a website. Uh, you can download photos of him in his Waffen-SS uniform. Uh, there was a, I'm, I'm told by colleagues of mine in Alberta, there is a university scholarship in his name, if you can imagine that. Um, this, is, this is a well-known person. When I was doing war crimes investigations in Canada, the thing that struck me was nothing that I thought I had uncovered was actually news to anyone. Uh, I will tell you that the Canadian government knew who all of the war criminals were. In fact, during the 50s and 60s, they went around paying home visits to these people and telling them to behave. 
So they not only knew uh, who they were, but where they were. Um, I can tell you that when I uh, did my first undercover interview, uh, which was of an individual, Antonas Kenstavicius, who killed 5,000 Jews with his, uh, with his police unit in Lithuania, and I took my file and my documentation uh, both to the Canadian Jewish Congress and to the, uh, the Ministry of Justice. And the Ministry of Justice, in fact, accepted our evidence uh, against this individual and they were prosecuting him. Uh, I will tell you that both the Ministry of Justice and the Canadian Jewish Congress knew who he was. The CJC had a letter um, revealing his identity and his location dated 1947, which was literally 50 years before I interviewed him. Uh, not, none of these war criminals and, and where they are and the just remarkably horrible crimes that they committed is a secret. Uh, none. Um, and and uh, I will tell you that I had no problem, no problem as a private individual working with a very small team of, of investigators, I mean, professional people, but nevertheless, we were able in, in approximately three months to put together lists of a thousand war criminals, we were able to locate nearly 200 of them uh, in another 90 days. And as you correctly mentioned a moment ago, I was able to go and knock on the door of more than 60 of them. And they were, they were so unafraid and so unconcerned about their status in Canada that all of them, except for one person, uh, spoke to me and acknowledged their identity. Most of them confirmed their dates of birth, so we knew we had the right guy. Uh, most of them confirmed their unit affiliation, and, and seven of them detailed the crimes they were involved in on, on hidden recorders, and we turned that over. So these are, these are not people who feel they have anything to fear, and they're right. They're right. They have nothing to fear. They're in Canada. They're safe. They will never be brought to justice. Yaroslav Honka, and I asked you if that was a name you were familiar with. You were familiar with it. Um, he called that period of time in this unit that he was involved with, that um, you know, got speeches from the um, architect of the Holocaust, uh, Heimler. Um, Heimler, um, you know, the, the, he he calls it the best days of his life. And did any of these criminals that you spoke with did they ever talk about remorse for what they did? A any regret for what they did? Not in the slightest. In fact, one of the reasons why I was so successful was these people were like every aging war veteran, which is how they looked at themselves. They felt they, that they had a tough job, you know, killing all those, those elderly Jews and, and young Jewish children. But, you know, they were doing it for the benefit of their country and humanity, and they were quite proud of themselves. Um, no. Uh, none of these people uh, expressed the slightest remorse. I will tell you, I did develop two informants, one of whom uh, was a very public informant at a certain point in time, uh, Adalbert Lallier. Uh, but uh, except for those two who did have remorse, uh, 
and who did cooperate in in gathering evidence against other war criminals no uh not not a single one was in the slightest bit uh embarrassed or ashamed or remorseful or reluctant or reluctant to acknowledge who they were um you know it's it's hard for i think a lot of canadians to stomach this i mean you know um it, it's a it's a dark part of our history nothing to be proud of but i think a lot of people the reaction to this many uh, living in canada and and you would know better than than i think most of us how many are left but i think most people are stunned to learn that our government has been so across the board for years so absolutely um you know lazy um um, unaccountable. They've done nothing to stop these people or make them accountable. They could be a part of the, the process. They have the legislation, but they've done nothing. Why? I mean, sorry, and I'll, and I'll add to that, Steve. No, no, Prime no, Minister no, Trudeau no, it's Sr. Not, it's, not just, it's not just that the Canadian government did nothing. In many, many cases, they protected these people. When they were given reams of evidence, file cabinets full of evidence, on particular war criminals, they sat on it. Look, I can tell you I had a breakfast meeting at one point uh, with, the, with the director of the Canadian War Crimes Unit uh, regarding a guy, Juozas Kisilaitis. Juozas Kisilaitis was adjudicated a war criminal uh, in the United States. He was about to be deported back to Europe. And before that happened, he bought a camper he got in the camper with his wife, and he drove up to Canada, and he decided to spend the rest of his days in Canada. And this is somebody who there was an entire trial's worth of evidence uh, against, not in the Soviet Union, where it's questionable, or in Europe, where it's difficult, but from the United States, uh, a democracy, a, com a country with a robust system of justice, mm -hmm. Uh, Canada's ally, and I can tell you that Eli Rosenbaum, the head of the OSI in the United States, told me to communicate to the War Crimes Unit in, in Canada, we will give you every bit of our evidence, every one of our witnesses, everything. Um, you now have a, a significant war criminal who has departed the U.S. and has taken up residence in your country. And, and the, the head of the Canadian War Crimes Unit looked me in the eye and said, just because we can do something doesn't mean we should do something. Looked me right yeah. in the eye. And by the way, this guy was Jewish. Yeah. So, so I, 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 I was taken aback, and I, I literally could not speak. Um, uh, I, I got up and I walked away from the breakfast table, and that was that. Uh, and you've, you've you know, noted that. Canada, I mean, you've, you've noted the complacency of, of and, and I'm stepping on you a little bit because we've got a delay, but the complacency you note of, of the Jews uh, for being too polite about this. Um, and you've talked about, you know, the fact that we have just uh, turned a blind eye to it, but now Poland wants them extradited. That going to happen? I, I, I'm, well, regarding the Jewish community, I will tell you those are who I condemn the most. It's our responsibility. It's our parents and grandparents and kids and brothers and sisters who were murdered by the people who are now living a wonderful life 
uh, in Canada. There's only a few left, but there are still some more, as we've now seen. Um, and the Jewish community is doing nothing, not even demonstrations outside their homes. Uh, there are no rabbis chaining themselves to the House of Parliament. There's no civil disobedience going on. None of the things that, bluntly, the Jewish community would do for any other oppressed community. We fight for everybody but ourselves. It's a, yeah. a neurotic sickness, and I have no explanation for that. Um, regarding the, the extradition requests by Poland, first of all, it's, it's ludicrous. Um, did they suddenly, after 70 years, discover that uh, an individual who was part of a unit that burnt a thousand Polish civilians alive, I repeat that, burnt a thousand Polish civilians alive, did they just discover that a member of that unit was in, was in Canada? Uh, first of all, there are many members of this unit that came to Canada. Uh, during my investigation, I discovered that a lot of these units, these killing units, came en masse to Canada. They would, they would take ships like the Sarnia and dock, and dock in Halifax, and 30, 40, 50 of these murderers and their families would disembark. Uh, Irving Abella wrote, wrote an entire book detailing this. Uh, the, the Canadian Jewish Congress had rooms full of files on this. I would imagine the RCMP, uh, who, who always gets their man, unless their man is a Nazi, uh, <laughs> has, has buildings full of this data. Uh, these are, this is not the only member of the, of the 14th Galician Grenadiers that, that was welcomed into Canada, given citizenship, and allowed to assume a position of honor. Yeah, it's, it's stunning. We're speaking with uh, Steve Rambam, uh, a bona fide Nazi hunter in the United States who came to this country to do what we, we have not. Um, Steve, you know, it's hard, hard to imagine. I mean, the family of, of, uh, of, of this man, of Yaroslav Hunka, were quite excited that he was coming to Parliament. I mean, they put it all over social media. Now, not maybe so much. They've kind of taken themselves down off of social media. How did they think that this wouldn't get out? Like, eventually, someone was going to catch it. Clearly, it wasn't our parliamentarians, but it was going to come out. Who can blame them? Who can blame them? No Nazi has ever been brought to justice in Canada. Most of them have already died in their beds, honored members of their communities. You know, the, the nice old guy down the block who gives kids candy, um, except I assume the Jewish kids. Uh, you know, why, why, why should they have suspected that there would have been a problem? There is a scholarship in his name at a university in Alberta. He has a website. He has disseminated photos of himself in Nazi uniform, in SS uniform. He has never had a problem. Never. Uh, what, Thankfully, why, he didn't why, wear that to a problem. I'm sorry? Well, thankfully, he didn't wear the uniform uh, into Parliament. I mean, I'm surprised he didn't. Listen, let me, let me tell you the most glaring proof that the Nazis have nothing 
to to fear in Canada is is the the equivocation of of Canada's prime minister right now. Oh, it was a mistake. It was an accident. I think he actually tried to claim that this was some Russian disinformation trick. I think he actually used those words, I'm told, by my, by my friends in Canada. Instead of Mr. Trudeau standing up and saying the presence of these people in Canada is, is, is a blot on the honor of our country, we should have thrown them out long ago. They don't belong in Canada. There's no place for them in Canada. They are not good Canadians. And we are going to, to the tiny extent we still can, vomit them all out of Canada. Did Mr. Trudeau say that? No, because he doesn't want to lose a tiny vote from the Eastern European community. Steve, I'm, I'm, I'm out you. of time. And yeah, I'm out of time and I'm up against the clock. And uh, I, w- I wish I could have more time, and I'll get you on again. But I do appreciate you kind of opening everyone's eyes to what you have said. My pleasure. My pleasure. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. That's Steve Rambam. I'll have him back again because he's a wealth of information. I've gone long with this interview, so I get into trouble. But uh, worth listening to. Steve Rambam is his name.